A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work with Pete. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about our jobs and how we can get more from them. I hope you're well. I hope you had a, a good Christmas break. Did you get COVID? I think I might have got COVID, but in a sort of very low key, slightly scratchy throat kind of way. Certainly didn't seem bad. I was um, I had to travel. I, I went to Lebanon over the break. And the, the challenge of sort of being COVID free before and after flights was the main stress but like very fortunate I'm massively vaccinated so uh very fortunate that science and technology has proved such a gift to us anyway I hope you're well now one one thing that a lot of people are reflecting on right now is just their relationship with their job there's there's one headline that I saw a couple of days ago that said that 75% of People are reflecting on whether they should be considering changing jobs. And it's clearly in the way that our relationship with our workplaces has changed and therefore our jobs have changed. A lot of people are wondering what do they need from a job and what do they want from a job. As we spend most of our waking hours doing our jobs, it's an important consideration, not least when it comes to our own happiness, fulfillment and welfare, really. So I was really intrigued. I wanted to understand, firstly, why people are having these discussions. Secondly, if you are interested in yourself, how could you seek about navigating these choices and and navigating this complexity? The people to talk to were obvious. Um, Former guests, Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis, are best-selling writers. They've had a phenomenally successful TED Talk about how we can reflect on our relationship with our jobs. And really, they they were the first people I wanted to talk to. So um, after successful careers in, in marketing, both of them have gone on now to run an organization, uh, Amazing If!, and they've had one best-selling book and they've got another book coming out this week, which I think their insight will be incredibly helpful for you. They really are sort of intrigued with how they can provide practical advice and, and really coaching um, for anyone who's reflecting on work. So I think this is a really timely discussion, most definitely because of all the consideration that our jobs have got right now this is probably something that even if you weren't necessarily considering changing jobs it would arm you with the questions that you should 
should be thinking about. Really great discussion. The authors of the forthcoming book, You Coach You. This is Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis. Great to have you back here. I wonder just to, to kick off if you could introduce who you are and, and what you do. You go first, Sarah. Okay. Hi, uh, I'm Sarah Ellis, and along with Helen, who's sitting here by my side, we're the co-founders of a company called Amazing If, where everything we do is about making careers better for everyone. And that everyone includes individuals, so we, we try and help people through our books and podcasts and as many tools as we can put out into the world to help people, and then organisations. So a lot of our time is spent with working companies across the world, uh, running different career development programmes for them. Because you've created this really interesting niche for yourself, haven't you? Sort of, uh, it strikes me from the outside as you know a passion project, actually something that you felt an interest in. I mean, maybe it's worth asking why you started the podcast, but it seems to have developed, and you really seem to be like the, you know the thought leaders in in a really particular space. Just remind us why you started your podcast. I think, do you know what, it's, it's a thing that started before the podcast, I think. So we, Sarah and I have known each other for 20 years. We went to university together and about 10 years ago, I was working at Virgin, Sarah was at Sainsbury's and we'd never worked together, but we spotted an opportunity to start something together which could help other people with their career development because lots of people were coming to us for mentoring, we were managing people and they seemed to have quite similar questions about their career but they couldn't find the support that they were looking for and we thought well we'll we'll try and help some of these people but we'll do it together because we like each other we like learning with each other and from each other and it just gave us an opportunity to do something outside of our day job and so that's what started it wasn't it wasn't a podcast it was just we started to realize that not everybody could come to a session in London on a weeknight and actually podcasts were starting to be a way of which we could help someone at scale. And so we started the podcast in 2017, just around confidence. We just did a 10 episode series on confidence. Yeah, 250 episodes, weekly episodes later. He he knew that was what was (laughs) going to happen. But I think the other thing that was a tipping point for us was probably the first time we drew in a workshop where we sort of said, careers sort of feel a bit less like this. And we drew this picture of a ladder and steps and we replaced it and said, for us, they feel more like a squiggle. And we started talking about this idea of squiggly careers and everyone just nodded. You know, in the room, everyone was like, yeah, that feels more reflective of both my experiences and my aspirations. And until that point, it wasn't like we had this like incredible aha moment or had got any ambitions to start an organisation. It was just a, I think we had found a way of describing increasingly how careers were feeling and especially over the last two years how careers now feel in terms of career change developing in different directions one size fits all for careers so it was kind of a new way of thinking about careers but then also trying to make it really relentlessly practical and useful and maybe that was the bit that people have been missing because i've heard other people use the phrase squiggly careers have you have you sort of we love it which i presume is like it it must borrow derivation from that scribble that either of you did on the who have you seen using it have well, you seen other people using it? I've, I've well, seen like people on news or in you know professional media using squiggly careers. That's why it sort of sticks in my head. Well, we've trademarked it. Okay. So squiggly careers is trademarked. <laughs> but the we really like people using it because I suppose it's showing that the idea is spreading. And we think when an idea spreads and people are sharing it, it goes way beyond us. We're not sort of particularly precious about going, oh, squiggly careers like belongs to us I think it's what's much more interesting really is then what you do with it so if, if we all accept that that's our reality now in terms of our careers well what 
might you do in terms of figuring out what work is really meaningful for you or what decisions you might make. And I think when you have that squiggly career context in mind, it, it changes how you think about your career or certainly it changed how I thought about my career. And that's why we started talking about it. But I always love it when we see something pop up on LinkedIn and in their organisation, perhaps internally, one of their leaders is talking about their careers and they're using the squiggle and they're saying, oh, my career has been squiggly. And often I would say 99% of the time people are crediting us and that's the best moment of my day. Wow. I'm like, brilliant. We've, okay. we've, sh- we've created something that people are sharing. Because the reason why this is such a timely discussion is that we've seen from the end of last year and right into the start of this year now, we've seen themes about career and I guess what our job, the role our job plays in our lives have become bigger than ever before. And in fact, you know, through probably October last year, maybe even before, I was all the companies that I was working with were saying, uh, yeah, we're getting so many people resigning and these all manner of things. But one of the, the themes that seemed to underpin it was a, a changed relationship between us and our jobs. And I just wondered, because you, you two have become the experts in terms of, I think, the thinking on this. Why is it that our relationship with our job has changed and the meaning we get from our job to some extent has changed? I think that pre-pandemic, there was a lot of noise that went around our work. So you had the job that you did and maybe where you did it, So you, and you had a commute, and you had some people that you worked in an office with, and there were all these sorts of ingredients to our working experience that resulted in whether we enjoyed or didn't enjoy our job. And as a result of the pandemic, I think the noise on some of those things has got a lot quieter. So I, now longer, I no longer have that office environment with that buzz. I no longer have that person I sat next to for a good chat or whoever I went to lunch with. I just have me mainly in my house doing my job in front of a laptop and I think when the noise is dialed down on all those other aspects of your work and what you're left with is quite loud which is the work that I'm doing on my own in a room I think you start to really question is this the work that I want to be doing because it's it's much louder it's much more it's much more clear and I also probably have more choice now because now I can work this way with lots of different companies maybe I don't just have to do this job for that company in that place maybe there are other places that I can go to and I think it also becomes quite self-fulfilling because you start to see and hear other people having those conversations and if you weren't already having those thoughts yourself it would prompt them in you as well yeah I think the career conversations that people are now having with their managers and their organizations have changed over the past two years and the expectations that individuals have in terms of well, I want to develop in different directions and this is what I'm really passionate about and this is what feels purposeful for me. People are now sort of taking more control of that, which I always, I think that's reassuring. I, we want individuals to have that power and that ability to have those conversations because we don't want our relationships with our careers to be passive. We, want, we really want people to take ownership and to be thinking about this and then acting, not just thinking, but, but acting. And I think there is also an element that we shouldn't forget around there are lots of things outside of people's controls that have affected their careers in the past two years. So you might have been in an industry that has been really badly impacted by the pandemic or your role might not exist in the same way. So some of it I also think is some forced squiggliness some of the time. And I also see that when that happens to some people, they realise that they are more adaptable than they gave themselves credit for. They've got more transferable talents than they realised. And I've heard lots of stories from people where you know, they found themselves in quite vulnerable positions in their careers. But out of that, they've now ended up in 
a role or in a job or in an organisation that actually feels like a much better fit for them. Right. And I think that's that's a good a good news story for people from what has been a really hard time. Yeah, because you, you hinted at something at the start of that, which is for a lot of people, um, revealing to their boss what their career plan is feels like a potentially career-limiting move. And so we're almost in this restrictive zone that some of us might be fortunate to have partners or that we might have good friends that we could talk to about these things. But in a professional capacity, people who understand the job you actually do, you know, most of our friends and loved ones sort of kind of guess what we do. The, the people who actually understand what we do, we're locked in a power dynamic with them where sometimes... You know, we would rather a mentor or a coach or, or someone else was able to provide some guidance and instructions. And and I guess, you know, this is why you two have become preeminent at this. But what are the questions then that if someone isn't able to talk candidly to their boss, what are the questions that someone should be reflecting on and saying, OK, these are the things I need to understand? I think a big bit in this is language both for the individual and the manager who might be having that career conversation so instead of what job do you want to do next or what's the next step for you both of which are quite ladder-like in terms of their framing it's much more what are the possibilities you're curious to learn more about if I said that to you that could take you in lots of different directions with that conversation and I might say what are uh, what are possibilities within the organization and I would give someone permission to talk to me about possibilities outside of the organization without making that a bad thing to talk about because most people are thinking that anyway we just have to create a safe space so that they can explore it because that the best possibility might not be in this business but if I know and understand that I might be able to have them more committed and engaged whilst they are here because they respect that I'm entering into that discussion with them rather than them just leaving unannounced without me having had the chance to retain them but it might be that if I understood more about the opportunities that they were curious about maybe there is a way that we could craft their role around this in their team at the moment or maybe there is another part of the business that they could we talk about squiggle and stay Mm. like that's the thing we want to really help people to do is you know squiggle and stay within a business but because they often don't even entertain those conversations they assume that the answer is leaving rather than finding a new way to develop in a different direction within the business but I do think it's it's a good point that we don't want our development to be dependent on one person so you're right about that power dynamic and I think what you can do as an individual is lessen that power dynamic by not only talking to your manager about your career I think and when we say mentors mentors can sound quite formal and again I think we miss the point if we think of mentoring as a formal thing I think have you got the right career community around you and have you got a range of different roles that those people are playing who are your supporters and your sponsors we often talk about it or your cheerleaders and your champions and some of those people should be in your organization some of them should definitely be outside of your organization and I know you've talked about it before Bruce on the podcast they should be a mixture of your strong and your weak ties because some of the people that we don't know as well when we talk to those people about our careers and have curious career conversations they know people we don't know and they can spot possibilities that we can't see And so those are the people that sometimes can open up new things that we've not considered. And those new things could be the opportunity to learn a new skill. It doesn't have to be a new new job. And also it doesn't have to be short term. Um, Margaret Heffernan, who I love, she said we need to get so much better at, at building relationships beyond the ones that we need right now. 
And one of the things that she observes is that we're all becoming a bit too short-termist in our relationships. And I think that's sometimes true in our networks and our career communities. We sort of think, we think about our manager because that's the most immediate thing right in front of us. And, and we're less exploratory and we're less curious and we don't think about possibilities because it sort of feels a bit too far off. And understandably, it doesn't feel like a priority for people. It's not top of their to-do list because they've got so much to get through and they've got so many tasks. But I think if you leave those conversations until that moment that you're unhappy or until that moment that you'd like to make a change, you've left it too late. And so that's the other thing I think we really want to encourage people to do is open up what career conversations can look like and who they are with and also knowing that you can do quite a lot of the hard work yourself you can think about think about some of these things yourself so that by the time you have those conversations they're so useful how, how important is a healthy consideration of career because one of the things that we've definitely seen in the course of the last 18 months specifically i think in the last six is this rise of people saying I've actually I've renegotiated my mm. relationship with work and now I understand that it was this toxic friendship where <laughs> it was it was taking all of my all of my identity and all of my yeah. identity number one all of my energy actually it was everything about me to the extent that you know everyone else around me was getting a really dilute version of me and we've rebalanced that is that one of the considerations that people might have when they're when they're thinking about this I think so. There's, um, I think psychologists sometimes call it now enmeshment, where essentially we can't we can't separate ourselves from the work that we do, and that often happens unconsciously. It's not like we choose for that to happen with our work. It's just that it's become such a big part of how we spend our time and our lives. And then because we have almost had to, been forced to press pause over the past couple of years, people have done that renegotiation. And I think now when people are thinking about the work that they do and the time they spend at work, they want that time to be well spent. I always think at a really practical level, getting to the end of a week, do you feel like your time at work this week has been well spent in quite a binary way? And then where do you think it was best spent? And I think if people are answering no to that question, like, no, I don't feel like I'm investing time in the right areas. I'm not doing work that gives me energy and that I enjoy or that's using my strengths. That's prompting people now, I think, to think, well, what? what else or what could that look like or how might I go into a different area and for some people that's quite dramatic changes and they're talked about a lot in terms of career change you know people who go from I don't know working in the city to becoming a teacher or people you know those really really big pivots but it could be just thinking differently about the hours that you work working a four-day week or it could be about thinking I'd like to go and explore working in a different team in the organisation. So sometimes those changes are talked about in quite a dramatic way, but sometimes quite incremental change can have quite a big difference. Makes me think quite a lot about choices, empowering mm. people to make choices, because I think the reason the ladder stuck around for a long time is it gives people a degree of comfort. Like it's the, the, the premise that if I show up and work hard, then I'll go up the ladder and that's the mm. job to be done. The reality is it doesn't really work like that. So it's a bit of a false promise because the ladders aren't as long as the careers that we're all going to be leading and at some point you get disillusioned and disappointed and we're trying to we're trying to get away from that but what squiggly career doesn't mean is that you just leave it all to chance oh it's squiggly so I'm just going to see what happens hope for the best (laughs) because nobody wants that either they want they you know they put a lot of time and effort and energy into their work and they want to know that it's going somewhere meaningful for them so I think a lot of this is about well 
you can't have this predictable linear thing that we used to think was the way to do it. And you also can't control a really unpredictable and uncertain future. But what you can do is make better choices. And those choices are based on what's right and meaningful for you. And we talk about having careers as individual as you are. And what we're trying to help people to do is understand what that means. And so a career that is individual for you, Bruce, will be different to me and Sarah, and ours are different to each other's. But giving people like a filter for their future, what are the questions I should be asking? How do I get to that level of awareness? And how do I you know, scan my career possibilities and make better choices? That's, that's the thing that we can help people with. And that gives them back a bit of control when everything might feel a bit uncertain. And I think a bit of confidence. So I think that's one of the other things is we still see it takes quite a lot of confidence to opt out of a ladder-like model sometimes um, because it's what you think you should do and maybe it's what other people expect of you. I think it takes quite a lot of confidence and self-belief to, to, to move away from the ladder and start to kind of squiggle in your own direction because we are influenced by what we think we should do, uh, perhaps what other people before us have done or perhaps the expectations of other people and it is hard because we see now more than ever people can't help but compare their careers to other people you know we look at our peers and we think oh am I am I as far up the ladder as as they are or they seem to be more senior than I am and maybe that's based on job titles and those kind of things so I think there is sometimes the allure of the ladder Mm. that still exists in new ways things like what we see on you know the shiny stuff that we see on Instagram or on LinkedIn and so the thing we're trying to give people the confidence with is will know what's right for you and know that will look different at different points in your life. And and we talk a bit about work-life fit rather than work-life balance. And again, you could say, well, it's just, it's just words, but I think it's trying to encourage people to think about what fit feels right for you at the moment. And that mm. might be working a bit less right now. Or it might be working in a different way or in a different type of organisation. But it's giving people the confidence to ask themselves the right questions, so doing a bit of coaching for themselves, and then to go and have the conversations to just get a feel for, well, could I do this? What might this look like? What happens if it doesn't work out? I mean, we both went through this exact process when we were leaving you know, the big corporate organisations that we'd spent you know, 16, 17 years investing a lot of our lives in, going, are we going to do this? Are we going to go and run a small company, which we had zero experience of, it hadn't really been a plan. It certainly hadn't appeared on any of our career plans. And I think if we had just sort of jumped without really having career conversations or without asking ourselves some of these kind of open questions, without really considering what, what work-life fit looked like for us, I think potentially you, could have, you might have never done it. You know, you could, I could have always found a reason not to do it and it would have been safer to sort of stay in those big organisations. So I think going through this process, it's not... Um, never a one-hit wonder I think it's more of a we talk about helping people to have a coaching approach so not thinking about coaching necessarily as a person don't think about it as someone like Helen or I think about how can you take a coaching approach to your career where you're asking yourself really good questions where you're having really good conversations the the interesting thing that really strikes me is that um, these it's it's about sort of dialing up your own understanding of yourself mm, and, yeah. and and actually having an opinion we often find ourselves as, as a de- as a default not necessarily having opinions about what we want to do we sort of we, we drift and and the things that strike me is that 
Um, whether it is the curse of comparison leads to unhappiness, but you know we're surrounded with comparison, or whether it's corporate gaslighting, a sort of corporate purpose, pretending that actually you're fulfilling all of your needs because this washing powder is going to um, <laughs> change the way that people in the developing world wash their kids' pants. And, uh, you know, like you, you sort of, this gaslighting there, it's telling you that this matters when it might not. And, and it strikes me that your approach invites and gives people a framework to dial up actually what they understand about what they want. Actually, the questions that we don't ask. And so the, the interesting thing for me is how do you invite people to be ca- candid? How do you invite people to, to push themselves? How can, you know, we all struggle. We were having discussions before about sort of difficult challenges and pushing yourself and we all struggle we, we sort of we, we all talk about it how do you push people into that zone where they're in a sort of moment of self-revelation i think i mean we our day job is uh you know designing and delivering development programs for people so i think we have really thought about how we create the space where people have those you know potentially quite uncomfortable conversations and what tools we give them to make it a bit easier um, and so if i think about something like confidence that's one of the hardest things we would talk about confidence self-belief and progression probably some of the trickiest things for people to start talking about because with confidence and self-belief people feel vulnerable and quite exposed that they got some limiting beliefs that might be holding them back and with progression people feel a bit unsure about talking about what they might really want to do that might be different from what you think I should do and um, one of the most important things so it's I think it's practical tools and then a safe space for a conversation so with both of those the way that we do it is often we get like a bit of peer-to-peer coaching going on so we'll get people in a room or most likely a zoom at the moment (laughs) in like a breakout room and you get people starting to share some of their stories so some of the confidence gremlins that might get in their way or um, a self-belief setback so something that's happened to them in the past and maybe what they've learned from it and we will often start by sharing some of ours to sort of normalise that so they can hear about our failures or hear about our confidence gremlins. And in a small room where people can hear from each other, um, they start to realise that they're not alone. They're not the only person who has a fear of not knowing enough or gets really scared of senior people or feels like they might fail and therefore they like to play it safe. And once they start sharing some of those stories with each other, they start to go, oh, I'm not the only one that feels like this. And then they come back into the room with us a bit more open to then go, okay, now now help me. <laughs> now now I've, I've, I've realised I'm not alone. I've realised we all feel like this and so it's normal, but tell me what I need to do next. Now, we will never say to someone here's here's a one two three step process and you'll be fixed in 30 minutes because that's you know careers aren't easy and working this through takes time but what we will do is give people kind of frameworks to follow to to try out we'll give them curious questions to explore and we'll help them to think through who they might want to have those conversations with but I think it is that process of what does self-awareness look like you giving yourself the safety to realise that you're not alone and a structure to follow it through. That's probably, I would say, Mm. the ingredients of how we help people. And I think when we're trying to encourage people out of their comfort zones into what we call their courage zone, so anything that makes you uncomfortable, exactly like the conversations we were having before we started today, where you, you you feel a bit tense about it, you maybe don't even like saying it out loud, maybe because it's overly ambitious, maybe what you'd like to do is overly ambitious. I remember almost being a bit apologetic about my ambitions early in my career and really needing someone to give me that permission to be able to say out loud some of the things that I might want to do in in my career in the future. And what's really interesting is often that courage zone can feel 
far away and quite vague and quite abstract. And I think we've got to make it really concrete. So I always really encourage people to write down three scary scenarios. So do some scenario planning, but for your career, not for your business. So what are three things that would really scare you in the next 12 months? Write those scary scenarios down. Then tell someone about them. There is something about saying them out loud. And tell someone you trust and who you know is on your side and who's going to support you and champion you. Just saying them out loud makes it more real and makes it less scary, funnily enough, just by saying it. And then you've sort of got a bit of an accountability partner in that person who's heard you say those things. And then think about, for each of those scary scenarios, what's one action you could take right now that would get you a bit closer to that scenario? One thing you could say yes to, one person you could go and talk to, someone you could go and ask for help. And and I think just by taking this kind of big idea of, oh, we all need to get more comfortable with discomfort, and then breaking it down in that way, which, you know, like we always say, we're a bit relentlessly practical, but that's how I think you then start to make mm. progress. So even at the start of this year, I always get quite nervous doing live radio interviews because I think... I can't, I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm an introvert who likes to prepare and that's not really live radio, which you never quite know what direction they're going to go in. They won't usually tell you the questions beforehand. So I remember saying to, to Helen, that's one of my scary scenarios is on the day having to say yes to like live radio, you know, because sometimes you don't get very much notice. My default there is Helen will do that because she, she's better than me right. on the spot. She's more spontaneous than I am. I'm good for a um, BBC Radio 4 think piece. That's okay. my, per- my perfect scenario, not you want to go on the news in three hours time where right. I just think I'm too scared and so even by saying it now and then saying it to Helen when those opportunities it's not like we do it all the time but occasionally when those opportunities come our way I get a little nudge from Helen saying maybe you should do this Sarah this, this feels right, like okay. this 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 is one for you and then I get a bit of extra support so knowing that that's a scary scenario Helen will be like should we just talk it through for 15 minutes as if Helen's my manager right. she, she sort of is to be honest so you know, I'm getting a bit <laughs> of support from my manager and then you do it and yes, it's scary, but it's never as bad as you imagine. Yeah. And we have what um, Farah Store, who's the editor of Elle at the moment, she talks about, you have these brief moments of discomfort, BMDs. So yeah, it's hard, but it's hard momentarily. And then we get better at it. And each time it becomes that bit easier. And if I think about then the more you do it, the better you get. When you're doing that scary scenario in 12 months time, your capability and your confidence is just has grown exponentially from where you started but I think nothing changes until we are specific about what those scary scenarios are and that we say them out loud and we get the support that we need so in the spirit that you know start of the year thinking about these things and like if we are to believe the statistics you know there's still a quarter of the workforce 30 percent of the workforce who are debating changing their jobs Mm. this year so um in the spirit of that and, you know, channeling this idea of I'm going to do something that's scary, what should people be thinking about right now? Should they set themselves a goal to change their jobs this year? Is it just about a micro step? You talked about doing more things in your firm. Mm-hmm. Is it about, I, I, I'm just intrigued, what what would you advise? And I, I recognise that it's going to be different next steps for people. So yeah. what is the what is the question that someone should be asking themselves? I think there are, oh, what's the question? I think there are, uh, what careers am I curious about exploring and who can I explore them with is, is, is a useful mm. kind of two-parter question. And if I was going to follow that up with an action, I we talk about an exercise called scanning. So when people are exploring their career progression, sometimes people feel like they have to have the perfect job they want to go to. They're like, well, I'll, when I know what the job is, then I'll go and explore. And it gets quite limiting then. So we encourage people to do sort of career scanning. So you use uh, something like like LinkedIn jobs or an alternative and you take off a lot of the um, 
kind of limiters that you normally put onto a job search, like what level, what job title, what salary or status, all that kind of stuff. Take that off, have a very, very wide kind of scan. So I would just put in, you know, I might put in culture worldwide. <laughs> like, okay, really, really big. And then just the first thing you want to do is just save the jobs that instantly intrigue you. Don't really give it much more of a, a, a kind of force filter than that. What instantly intrigues me? And save about like five, five, ten jobs maximum. And then scan through those jobs in detail and highlight what is it that really energises me okay. in this job description and what is it that turns me off? You're basically just using job descriptions as data for your development. That's it. And once you do that on quite a few jobs, you start to see, well, what are the things that consistently energize me and what are the things that consistently turn me off and you are able to create yourself your own kind of career criteria okay. so when I do Dogs it Tinder, yeah, yeah yeah exactly like that <laughs> yeah exactly like that and you'll end up with like this list of things that's like your career criteria and so if you, if you were my manager rather than me saying to you oh Bruce I'd like to find out more about that job please what I could say instead is the jobs that I'm interested in exploring in the future all have elements of collaboration, innovation um, and uh, lots of kind of community management. They consistently are engaged by those things. What opportunities do you know or jobs that might exist that you could connect Mm. me to where I could find out a bit more about that? And so it really helps people to open up their career conversations because they start from a criteria rather than a job title. And then you go into... Well, now I know what areas I'm interested in. Who could I go and find out more about? Interesting. Because one of the complications seems to be when numbers enter any equation. And and two ways that num- numbers enter. Either people like, I'm happy to change jobs, but I have to earn as much as I earn now. Or worse, mm-hmm. I have to earn more. And secondly, I was with someone this weekend and they said, uh, you know, if I was doing it all again, this is what I would do. And this is someone who's 33. I was like, oh, my God. I said, when you're 40, you're going to look back and regret saying that he was all over at 33. <laughs> but it's, always, it's so interesting how we either have got these limiting factors. And, I, and that's what I, I'm intrigued to get your perspective on. You know, when's too late to think about these things? And how do we overcome the limiting factor of money? Mm. Never too late. Though I would, I would say that. You would that, say that. So obviously. go on, explain to me why. But I do think... So I don't think we should ignore the money conversation because it's a practical one and an important one. I think the key question to ask yourself is, what does enough look like for me right here, right now, in the here and now? Because if you're looking at um, a job change, you know, you've got rent, you've got mortgage to pay. If you like both of those, you've got massive mortgage, you've got all sorts of childcare costs that cost you a fortune. Like, And, and you would look at that and if you said to me now, you've got to change career and you've got to take... 40% pay cut, let's use that as an example, because you're going into a completely new area, I'd be like, impossible. Your first limiting belief just goes and you go, well, there's absolutely no way. Now, there probably is absolutely no way to do that next month. But if I was thinking about, well, what do I want to be true in 12 months' time or in 18 months' time that isn't true today, I might want to be much, much closer to that to that career change than I am right now and start to understand what are the changes or the factors that I need to consider to make that change possible? You know, we did the same working in corporates to running your own business. That's a pretty big change. And the financials of how all that work is very, very different. So I think you need to know what your enoughs are and you need to know what choices and compromises you are prepared to make in pursuit of that change. Because it might mean that you realise, well, in the very short term, I can't afford to make that change 
but I could work out other ways to get closer to that area I'm interested in. So let's say you were thinking, okay, I'm, I would actually really like to go and work uh, with a charity or in the more like charitable sector, but I can't afford that because I work in corporate life at the moment and I'm looking at a good 30% pay cut. Usually you get paid less in charities, not always. You might think, okay, well, I can't do that right now. But what I could do is I could think about some volunteering. I could think about some networks that I could join that would get me much closer to that world and give me a window into that world to decide, do I do I definitely want to go and do that? Uh, how can I make sure I get some really good connections so that maybe by the time I move or transfer into that area, I could maybe do it at a level that would help me to be paid as much? One of my friends did make that move, actually, that I'm describing. The way that she worked the financials was to work a four-day week. So she decided her trade-off, we sometimes talk about, like, just be mm. really clear about your trade-offs and your choices and your compromises. You might not like them, but they might be. it's better to know the facts and then you can sort of work with them. And she decided, okay, they can't afford me on a five-day week, but they could afford me on a four-day. I can compromise on that 20% salary because she valued the time more than the cash. And, yeah, she was in a privileged position that she mm. could afford to do that. So I think if you can work out the facts of your situation first and then figure out, well, what would you like to be true in 12 months' time? And then you can start to think about, well, what are the actions that I can take now that get me closer and closer, accepting that no change happens really quickly. Interestingly, the most successful career change happens incrementally. You sort of, you take incremental actions that get you closer to where you want to go. Often when people just leap you know sort of leap before looking and you just sort of go that's it I've had enough and we understand that we sometimes get to that point in our careers that's less successful because we've not built the connections we've not really explored we've not had some of the conversations and therefore you're less clear about whether you're going your strengths are going to be a good fit is it going to be the right environment for you and sometimes that means having to make a change again very quickly which is really exhausting for people career changes is hard and so I think if you can spend lots of time investing in those small actions don't worry about that waiting time try and think of that waiting time as brilliant opportunity to kind of create the thing that you want to make happen rather than getting frustrated about that waiting time which at times it can obviously feel a bit frustrating Mm. but try and see that try and see the upside of the wait rather than the downside. And transparently for us in our business, because we did make quite a big career pivot and change, we ran a side project for several years. We kept that money in the business that provided a runway. When we went from corporate life to our own business, I went first. So our business wasn't dependent on two salaries to start accelerating it. And that got then the income for both of us. So it wasn't, it didn't happen quickly. (laughs) There was quite a lot. And we're not massive risk takers. That's also part of it. But I think you can give yourself more options and if you particularly if someone might be listening to this and thinking oh I'd quite like a career choice that wasn't in corporate life but that feels like quite a big leap just know it might take longer and maybe a side project that can you know create a bit of a fund that could support you moving on to what Mm. you want to do next that's that's the model that we did and that worked for us you've obviously had this um remarkable perspective that you've changed so many people's lives or had this sort of catalyst role to play. Obviously, you had a colossally successful TED Talk. You have a podcast that's had millions of listeners. What sort of feedback do you get either from viewers of that TED Talk or or listeners? What do people say to you? Oh, I had the best one this week. I, oh. I loved it. It's from somebody that works on a COVID ward in the NHS and 
feeling overwhelmed. She's a ward manager. Um, and you get this in the podcast, uh, you know, the reviews that people leave you, which is why people should leave reviews for Bruce, because it's an amazing way to get feedback for impact. Um, and this person was a yeah, COVID ward manager, feeling really overwhelmed, had a obviously very hard 18 months. And uh, she said that the, the podcast and our resources had helped her to get clarity and, and had helped her to support her team. And I think when people are so focused on their day-to-day job, particularly a job like that, which must be all-consuming in time and emotions, I think the fact that they can take a practical tool for us that can create clarity for themselves and help them to create clarity for other people that work for them, I mean, it's just the most, it's the most rewarding message that we could get to help one person help themselves and then to help other people through their job. The best, the best. Yeah, I think the TED Talk, probably the thing I hear most often is, like, thank you for making me feel good about my career choices, which is interesting. So less about what are they going to go and do next, but more about uh, they identify with, oh, I've had a squiggly career and I maybe felt bad about that. I felt that that I'd not taken the traditional path and maybe that was the wrong thing to do and maybe they felt a bit like a lone wolf until this moment in time and they watch it and go, oh, that you've given me a way of describing perhaps what I was already doing and actually a way of feeling really confident about it, so much so that we've had people um, take our first book, Squiggly Career, which has a big squiggle on the front, into interviews so that when they get asked questions I about... you say into tattoo parlours. No, oh, no, not yet, but not yet, Bruce. That would be amazing. <laughs> you can do that for us, Bruce. Uh, but they take it into interviews and kind of go, oh, um, you know, my CV might look less traditional... I've had what's called a squiggly career. I don't know if you've heard of it. And people advocating for squiggly careers in interviews. And I think, well, that's a brilliant way as well to get a feel for fit. Because if you're someone who, like me, likes to squiggle in different directions and you're curious about lots of things and you talk about that in an interview, you want to be in an environment that encourages that and embraces that and makes that happen. And I think... We work with such a Best time to talk about it as well, isn't it? As yeah, well, in the interview. Yeah, and because... if someone goes, uh, no, thank you, yeah. that's probably not the yeah, organisation yeah, yeah. you want to go and spend time in. And I am really reassured where, you know, lots of, we have lots of individuals give us feedback, but we also have organisations who watch that TED talk and get in touch with us and say, what you have described is our ambition. So they might not be there today uh, because that ladder has a really strong legacy that, you know, there's, big global organisations are going to have to take a bit of time to figure out how to unwind some of that and what they might need to do differently. But they are clear about that is the direction they're heading. They want to help people to squiggle and stay. They want people to have careers as individual as they are. They recognise it's a big challenge and we sometimes talk about the idea of like, where are you on the squiggly scale? Of course, it's easier if you're starting from scratch because, you know, you can just design for squiggly. But most organisations are figuring out well, how can we create an environment where people can have squiggly careers and have the sort of open conversations that you've described? So I love getting those messages as well from, I've had very big, very traditional companies get in touch with me, having watched TED Talk and go, that sounds brilliant. We are really on board with that, that ambition. What we need a bit of help with is like, how do we make that happen? The the first book was such a success. Penguin have come back and, and sort of asked you to do another book. And so obviously that's imminently arriving uh, I, I just wonder if you could explain to people what they'd expect to find in the in the new book um, so the new book's called you coach you and it's really a practical book 
as you'd expect from us, <laughs> to help people to help themselves. So I guess the squiggly career was quite proactive. It was recognising that I'm in a world of work that's changing and I need to invest in my skills. You coach you is recognising that sometimes people get un- they get stuck and they need some help getting stuck because we talk about these knotty moments where it feels like things might have gone a bit out of your control and you're trying to navigate your way through it. And You Coach You is a book which will give people the tools to help themselves get through those moments. And whether that's because they've got a challenge with how they're spending time or they're feeling like they're not progressing in a way that's meaningful for them or maybe like they're struggling with their self-belief, it is packed full of tools so that they can work their way through that challenge. And it's not to replace... A career conversation with somebody else or even if someone is fortunate enough to have a coach which you know majority of people don't but it's more that they are better prepared for those conversations because they don't happen often and you don't get a lot of time with those people and when you're in those moments you want to feel like you're getting the most out of them and so it's a book that can either help yourself or help you to prepare for some of the conversations that you might be having with your career. Yeah, I always think our books are books to do more than they are maybe books to read. <laughs> and I don't think that they're probably not for everyone, and I think that's okay too. So I think the the people who like our books the best are the people who have got a challenge or a conundrum or a question uh, in the here and now that they need some support with. And you know sometimes you just need someone to give you five questions to get you started. You just need a framework to work through. Um, and we see, as with Squiggly, and I think you coach you even more so, our books get written in loads. They yeah. get the pages turned down. They get dropped in the bath, and that's when you think, "Oh, that's when I know we're doing a good job," because that's what we try to do. And you get organisations using them where you know they're using them for the peer-to-peer coaching conversations, and they'll go, "Well, we go to page sixty of the book, and we'll we'll borrow those ten questions, and then we'll write five of our own." So we've probably got even more. I think we've got more than fifty ideas for action, and over a hundred coach yourself questions in the book. So you have to work quite hard. <laughs> it's, it's almost like um, when Amazon says people who bought this also bought this. It's almost you can imagine it'll be a pack of felt tip pens. Oh, yeah, it will be. It'll be it'll be highlighters or poster yeah, notes yeah, yeah. or yeah. We're not a passive read. I think yeah. it's fair to say yeah. an activity book for a journey or plain journey. Yeah, if we get to do one of those. Uh, fabulous! It's been such a, a wonderful discussion, and, and I think you know. From my perspective, the reason why you've earned such a respect and love amongst so many listeners and so many readers is because of the value you bring to their life. And actually, our jobs, we're almost reluctant to admit it sometimes because it's like the serious part of us or it's the, the part of us that feels less like a playful expression of who we want to be. But our jobs play such an important part in the dignity and the the, the sense of pride we have about ourselves and, and I think the reason why you've earned such love and respect from people is that you help them to navigate to a better place in that so uh, wonderful to chat to you uh, wonderful to, to see how how uh, your success is developing so thank you so much thank, thank you, you Bruce. Bruce always love talking to you thank you Helen and Sarah uh, really delighted to have them on and, and look such a a brilliant practical set of advice. Actually, you know, I, I scribbled down countless bits of, uh, of of their advice myself. That sort of job scanning idea is is really interesting. Like I say, they've they've also had a massive TED talk, and I've put the link to that in the show notes. So um, I think you'll get something from from all of their discussions. Thank you so much for listening. 
I've been really grateful for the feedback I've got for the last few episodes. So I'm very grateful for that. If you are interested in this and you want to get more information about how work's evolving or changing, feel free to sign up to the newsletter and you'll see that linked to in the show notes. I've been Bruce Daisley. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.